Hey, if you have your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 1 with me tonight. Philippians chapter 1, we are continuing through our study of Philippians verse by verse. Now, in the first week, we laid the groundwork. If you were here, if not, I encourage you to go back and watch that sermon so that you know kind of the foundation of this. We learned about three people. We learned about Lydia. She was a businesswoman. She came to know the Lord. She got saved because Paul shared the gospel with her. We, we learned about the slave girl who had a demonic presence in her, and she had no freedom in her life, and she got saved. We learned about the jailer. He was an ordinary guy. His identity was wrapped up in his job and his career. And we learned about how these three people are who Paul is probably thinking about as he writes this letter. In some form or fashion, Paul remembers these three people. And watch this. He doesn't just remember them. He loves them. Then last week we saw Paul tell them that salvation is not just something he prayed for, but he also prayed for their, watch, sanctification. Their process of becoming more like Jesus. And you see this narrative go through Philippians. Paul loves these people. He's praying for these people. Well, tonight we shift gears in a major way to not just salvation, not just sanctification, but to celebration. Isn't that amazing? Tonight, Paul is going to show us his heart for the people in Philippi. Can I ask you a question? What kind of heart do you have for the people in your life? Ouch. It hurts me to think about it. Do you have a heart of compassion? Do you have a heart of love? A heart of selflessness or selfishness? It's crazy how just the middle of that word changes the whole meaning of it, isn't it? Do you have a heart that genuinely wants to see other people thrive or is it just all about your world? See, tonight I want to talk to you about a quality that Zach Paulin, a.k.a. LeBron James, was talking about a few moments ago. Don't y'all, I mean, we got LeBron James on The View. That's pretty good. You can't get better than that, right? You go tell other people that your college pastor had LeBron James on tonight. Hey, we, we grinding out here. Zach Paulin was talking about celebrating other people, a trait that in our culture today is so foreign. You see, American culture is all about me, 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 me. It is. It's all about me and making my gain as convenient as possible. That's why we have apps that now deliver food straight to your apartment door and dorm room so you don't have to leave. That's why we have Netflix that tells you what you might be interested in. Literally, it serves and caters to your interest so that it can get you watching something. Everything in our culture is about you. No wonder we're offended by a Bible that is not all about you. It's about Jesus. We get to play a part in that. I want to talk to you about, and here's my title, Comparison versus Celebration. Ooh. Some of y'all see that first word and you're like, time to log off for the night. I'm going to jump back in next week. Comparison. Something that we struggle with, but we sure don't talk about it a lot. We all do it. And we all struggle with it. Now, let me say from the very beginning, is there good comparison? Absolutely. Yes, there is good comparison. If I wake up in the morning and I see my wife diving into the Word and I see her reading the Bible and I look at myself and I realize that I'm being lazy today and looking at her and making the comparison to me and saying, you know what, I need to get in my Word and it pushes me to read the Bible, that's a good comparison. In sports, you compare yourself to those ahead of you so that your game can look like theirs as you progress, as you become more like LeBron. You compare yourself. But 
Most of us get wrapped up in very, very ungodly comparison if we're being honest. We don't compare ourselves in a healthy way. We compare ourselves in an unhealthy way. Here's the most uh, dangerous part of it is most of us are so numb to it, we don't even realize we do it. Isn't that crazy? Most of us just live in a, a world of comparison because we don't realize that we are doing it. Now, Paul is showing us tonight the catastrophic effects of comparison, ungodly comparison. He's showing us tonight what it really looks like. Watch, what it really looks like to not just lead someone to Christ, to not just help them in their sanctification process, but to celebrate their sanctification process. I, mean, I didn't write this, it's the Bible. It's amazing how he's progressing through this. I mean, it really is. And next week's all about trials and tribulations. But literally, he is celebrating their sanctification process. Now, there's a few things in this world I'm scared of. I was telling my team today, I'm afraid of heights in the sense that I don't want to fall off of a tall beam and break my leg. <laughs> all right? I'm terrified of heights. I'm terrified of snakes. I don't want to get anywhere near a snake. Maybe you got pet snakes at home. You're weird if you do. I don't like snakes. I want to stay far from them. The other thing that I've always been scared of, it's kind of weird because you don't hear about it a lot. But when I was a kid, I watched a movie and it had someone getting poisoned in it. And I've always been afraid of being poisoned. Like, because poison, if you think about it, at least you see a snake coming. At least when you're falling, you know what's happening. But poison is one of those things that slowly kills you from the inside without you even knowing it. What do you think ungodly comparison does to you? See, ungodly comparison is like poison. It kills you from the inside without you even knowing it. Literally, it wages war on that which is most sacred, the inside spirit and core of who you are. Where are you tonight? Is that you? Oh, Daniel, not me. I don't compare myself. I'm good. Maybe. I hope so. But what I sense in the Holy Spirit tonight is that many of us struggle with this, and we want freedom. We don't want to live shackled to comparison any longer. Now, tonight, Paul is going to show us his heart. And I get convicted because oftentimes this is not my heart. See, what I wrote down in my study is that Paul experienced heaven on earth because his heart was more influenced by heaven than earth. See, if you have a heart that's more influenced by earth than heaven, don't be surprised when all you experience on earth is earth. <laughs> to experience heaven on earth, you need a heart that is more influenced by heaven rather than earth. <laughs> that's Paul. That's why Paul was so amazed at God's grace because his heart and his eyes was not set on just that that was around him, but it was set on that which was above and he experienced the heavens open. He experienced God come down. He knew what it was like to experience the Lord in a supernatural way. He knew what it was like to celebrate the kingdom of God because he prayed in a way that the kingdom of God came down to this earth. What's sad about comparison is that many of us are living to try to celebrate our own self and to gain some sort of, of celebration and some sort of notoriety and, and fame and credit and build our name and build our kingdom. And what will happen at the end of your life if you build your own kingdom is you'll get to it and it'll fall like a sandcastle. <laughs> it'll tumble. It'll come down. So do you want to experience heaven on earth? I do. Heaven is a celebration, but it's not about you and me. Heaven is a, think about this, heaven is a celebration of someone else. 
You, if you're a Christian, are going to an after party that is completely about someone else. So if you are trying to celebrate yourself on this earth, there's no way you can experience heaven on earth. But when you start celebrating the one who heaven is celebrating, Jesus, then you will understand tonight. So what does it look like? Let's dive into it. Look, at, look with me at verse 7. After Paul tells them about the sanctification process, he says, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart. Just look at that for a moment, because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and then in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you, Lydia, the slave girl. Paul says, I miss you, the jailer. I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 9, look at this. And I pray this. See, Paul doesn't just love them, he prays for them. See, if you really love someone, you'll pray for them. (laughs) Don't tell me you love someone you don't pray for. I pray this. What does he pray? I pray that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior. In other words, so that you may know what is important. In other words, so that you may know what to prioritize, so that you can prioritize your priorities the way Christ did, so that you may approve the things that are superior and blameless in the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Will you slow down with me and pray tonight? Heavenly Father, we're so humbled by your word. Father, we're humbled by Paul's words tonight. God, we we cry out asking that you would meet with us tonight. Father, who cares what I have to say? I pray that you would have all of the say. Father, I pray that you would give me things tonight that are not in my notes. And Father, you would take away anything that you don't want to say. Father, this sermon, this word, our time belongs to you, God. I do pray for all of the college students and anyone, all their family members, anyone who's watching tonight, God, that they would be drawn to you, not to me, not to us that they would be drawn to your kingdom, not to their own kingdom. Father, the devil is rebuked in the name of Jesus from this service. He has no hold here. He is a loser. I pray against him in, in distractions and discouragement and confusion as he loves to do. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. If that's your prayer tonight, say amen. Amen. The main question we are going to ask tonight, I want you to write this down is do you celebrate people or do you compete with people? Write that down in your notes. The main question with two subpoints that we're going to work through really quickly is do you celebrate people or do you compete with people? Now, I want to start at the basics here. See, sometimes we got to start at the very, very, very simple start of it. We cannot overcomplicate this. The very first thing Paul says is that he has them in his heart. Watch this. This is so important. It sounds elementary, but sometimes we all need the elementary. He has them in his heart. Who does Paul have in his heart? First and foremost, he has Jesus in his heart. 
Before he could have the people of Philippi in his heart, he had to have the Messiah in his heart. So right off the bat, let me just ask you a question that you could ask fourth and fifth graders. Do you have Jesus in your heart? You probably think I'm talking to those who would not say they're Christians. Oh, no, I'm asking Christians, do you have Jesus in your heart? <laughs> like, no, for real. Like, stop thinking I'm talking to somebody else. No, you. Do you have Jesus, his spirit, actively living and manifesting the presence of God in your heart? Of course I do, Daniel. Okay, where's the fruit? Listen, I'm not getting on to you. I'm asking myself the same question. I believe the spirit of God's in my heart. And because I believe that every day, I've got to look at myself and say, where is the fruit? Where is the patience? Where is the kindness? Where is the love? Do you see it? Or do you see bitterness? Do you see jealousy? Do you see insecurities and worries and fears and all these things? Listen, we all have those, but are those overriding the fruits of the spirit? Because if those are overriding the fruits of the spirit, maybe you're not in the spirit as much as you and I think we are. Oh my gosh. Woo, seriously, think about it. Is Jesus daily actively being welcomed into your heart or is it this world? I can't answer that question for you. But what we know about Paul is that Paul had Jesus in his heart. Now watch, because he had Jesus in his heart, he had people in his heart. Because when you have Jesus in your heart, you will start to have what is in Jesus's heart. And what's in Jesus's heart is people. So when you have Jesus in your heart, you've got to have people in your heart. Amen. So if Jesus is there, are people there? Really? Not on your mind, but in your heart, truly. Your family members, your loved ones, your best friends, do they reside? Do they have a place in here? Do you love them? And how do you love them? Because if you struggle with having a genuine love for people, and this is so important, if you struggle with having a genuine love for people, don't go set out to try to find a love for people. You're not going to find it. <laughs> Listen, if, you, if your mission is to go and find a love for people, all you will find is betrayal, sin, and wickedness because that's all we are. <laughs> but when you wake up and you set out to find a love for Jesus, then you will, watch this, watch, watch. Then you will see people not through your eyes, but through the eyes of Jesus then you don't just see the betrayal, the sin, and the wickedness that you would see in your flesh, but you'll see them the way Jesus saw them. That yes, they're sinful, but they're valuable and I'll die for them and I'll take on their sins and, and I know they're crucifying me, but Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. You'll literally see them the way Jesus sees them, but you need Jesus here first. Don't set out to go find a love for people. Find a love for Christ and his word and you will find a love for people. A love that will not fail. When your love's based on people, when people fail, your love will fail. Did you know that? If it's just, if I just love Zach Paulin because I'm trying to love Zach for who he is, not because he is a child of God and a brother in Christ, then when he lets me down, my love will let down. My love will fail. But if I love him for the biblical reasons that I know I'm supposed to, when he messes up, I can go to Zach and I say, Zach, I forgive you. I believe in you. I know that you have value. See, many of us, we just got to get real here. This ain't a sermon. It's just us talking, Paul. This ain't a sermon. It's just us being real here. Many of us think we can love people from our own strength. I said it. 
There's too many Christians trying to love people, myself included. I'm one of them. We're trying to love people from our own strength, and we wonder why our love runs out. You can't do it. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not holy enough. You in and of yourself cannot love people the way that you need to. Only the Holy Spirit of Christ can. Only a love from heaven can love people the way Christ was. That's why you need to do things that warrant God bringing power down from heaven. The only things that warrant God bringing power down from heaven is prayer and Bible reading and fasting and all these spiritual disciplines we cling to. When you do those, those open up to heaven, love comes down in your heart from the Holy Spirit of God and then now you start treating people with the fruits of the Spirit. Now you see them how Jesus sees them. See, when we don't pray, when we don't read, super practical here, when we don't do these things, when you fail at loving Jesus, don't be surprised when you fail at loving people. It's a domino effect. We have to love Jesus if we're ever going to love the people in our life. Our eyes only see that which is natural, but through the eyes of Jesus, we are allowed to see that which is supernatural. Wow, Paul's love is not a superficial love. Before I get into comparison, I need to, need to hone in on this, man. It's not a superficial love. It's not a, oh, what's up? My gosh, so good to see you. Hate that guy, man. Can't stand that guy. It's not a superficial love. It's not a selfish love. It's not a, oh, man, I love you, bro. You're the greatest. I'm grateful for you, bro. Hey, could you do me a favor? Could I borrow your truck? I'm moving some stuff. Like, it's not a selfish love. It's not a love just to get something. See, Jesus loved us when we couldn't give him anything. It's a, watch, sincere love. It's not a selfish love. It's not a superficial love. It's a sincere love. It's a, hey, I love you whether you do anything for me or not. Now, let's talk about comparison. Please don't leave the stream. because I know that we don't like talking about this because it hurts our flesh. But the first sub point I want you to write down is, A, comparing yourself with people. And we've talked about this. This is not something new for the view. Uh, we've talked about this before. There's many things we, we talk about and we bring those back up. You belong here. We want people to know that all people belong in Christ and all of them belong at the view. Um, comparison is something that we have talked about. And comparison in the sense of our world is not something that's new. I got to tell you, comparison goes back to Genesis. Did you know that? Did you know that Cain compared himself to Abel? We all know that Abel presented to God what he was supposed to present, but Cain held back what was rightfully God's. And, and you remember in Genesis chapter 4 what happens. Because Abel did what was good and was approved by the Lord, Cain, what did he do? Watch this. He got jealous. See, Cain didn't do what he was supposed to do, and he got jealous of that person, Abel, who did do what he was supposed to do. See, when you're in your flesh and you don't do what you're supposed to do, you'll get jealous of people who do what they're supposed to do. <laughs> That's why, and I can't get off here, but that's why when we're not sharing Jesus, we get mad at people who are. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is raw. We get mad at people that are making disciples when we aren't making disciples because we're like, oh, why don't they just chill like I am? <laughs> and then Cain smarts off to God. <laughs> that's, He's an idiot. Cain literally talks back to God. He pops off at the jaw. How stupid can you be? Literally, Genesis 4, 8 and 9. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Sounds safe. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. 
murder. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Look at this response. Uh, I don't know. Some of y'all have talked to your parents like that. I don't know. And then look at what he said. Am I my brother's guardian? Boy, I'm telling you, Cain would be getting a whooping right now. Cain would have the belt coming out of him. Like, whoop, come here, boy. Whoop. I mean, that's bad. He pops off at the jaw. That's what comparison will have you doing. You will start popping off at the jaw and being arrogant and being prideful all because you're comparing yourself to other people. Don't tell me comparison isn't dangerous because it led to arrogance, pride, and murder in Genesis. Wow. Jesus' disciples played the comparison game. Even them walked in the literal presence of the Messiah, of the Savior, played the game of uh, who's going to suffer and who will be spared. Who's the greatest? And what I want you to understand about comparison is it will always do one of two things. Either A, it boosts us up above someone, or B, it beats us down below someone. Write those down in your notes. Comparison will always do one of these two, always. It either boosts you up above someone, or it beats you down below someone. I want to talk about the first one. Because that's, that's the one we feel a lot. I think we feel both of them. Oh, man, the devil loves this one. You know why the devil loves this one? Because this is what the devil did. The devil was prideful. And he tried to boost himself up above. And the devil loves to try to get you to do that, does he not? Satan boosted himself up above God. Look where that got him. The one lying to you, telling you to compare yourself to other people is the same person that got kicked out of heaven because of pride. That's the devil. That's Lucifer. Do you think he's not the best advice giver? <laughs> I mean, literally, he is the accuser. Do you know why he's called the accuser? Because he will accuse you of things that are not true. Either he will accuse you of being too good or not good enough. <laughs> Either he comes to you and he says, oh, no, 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 no. Hey, listen to me. <laughs> You don't need Bible reading. You're good. You can be intentional today without getting in the Word. Come on. You're Paul Jones. You're Zach Paulin. You're Daniel Harris. You're Hannah Harris. You, you don't need the Word. Come on. Prayer? Bro, I'm telling you, you don't need prayer. Just go out and whatever you say happens. Whatever comes out your mouth, it's fine. You're fine. Or he accuses you of, hey, man, you have no value. There is no one who loves you. There is no one who truly cares about you. He starts accusing you that you are not good enough to be loved. How could you ever be loved? The God will never love you, so how could other people ever love you? They must not have your best interests at heart. And he accuses, he accuses, he accuses. He accused you of something today. I guarantee you he tried to accuse you of something today. What was it? I know I can't hear you, but just to yourself, what did he try to accuse you of today? Was it that you're not smart enough? Was it that your body is not as nice as such and such or so-and-so? Was it that your Instagram isn't as popular as so-and-so? Did he lie to you? Did he accuse you like he did Adam and Eve in the garden to where he told them that, hey, God is not protecting you. God is keeping something from you. See, he said that the tree over there that God told you not to eat from, really God is not protecting you from something bad. He's keeping you from something good. And that's the reason we fall into sin because we think that sin is something good that God is keeping from us instead of something bad that God is protecting us from. What did he accuse you of today? I, for me, I can list all about four or five things. I could go on two hands. 
and I'm just fighting them. I'm playing offense. I'm fighting with scripture. I'm fighting with scripture. Devil, you say I'm alone. I am not alone. You know why? I don't have any reason to fear because God is with me. (laughs) He strengthened me. He helps me. He upholds me with my righteous right hand. Not you, Satan. Not you. Let me give you a clear example of scripture from what this looks like. Watch this. In Luke 18, popular parable, you've heard it before. Verse 9, two men went up to the temple to pray. Listen to this. Don't zone out here on this scripture. Don't go off thinking about whatever. Listen to this. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. This will be good. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. God, thank you that I'm not greedy. Thank you that I'm not unrighteous. Thank you that I'm not an adulterer or even like this tax collector over here. God, thank you that I'm not as bad as this guy. God, you're so good to have made me better. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because every Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Goodness gracious. But what's scary is we pray a lot of prayers like that. We just don't realize it. See, in C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters, Screwtape talks about how, man, if you're strategic enough, Wormwood, you can get the Christians to pray to the corner of the room, and they won't even realize it. You can get them praying to themselves, and, and they won't even know because you just twist in their mind and they don't even realize what they're praying. That's what happened here. The devil was at work. Or B, beats us down below someone. False humility. The doubt that God can use us. I have seen so many college students I've been here now at The View four and a half years. Came in as a college student. I got saved at 21 years old. Came on staff part-time. Came on staff full-time. God called me to be the pastor. Didn't really know why. Had to get over that. (laughs) At first it was this, oh my goodness, why would God call me to be a pastor? That lasted for a day. And then it was, oh, I've got to be the pastor. It's time to go. That, That humility had to kick into action. And I had to obey and be obedient to God. I had to obey and that's what's gonna happen. God's gonna call you to something and you gotta get to that point where the devil's not beating you down, but you are humbled that God would call someone like you and me a sinner, but then you move past that and you say, you know what, God called me so my confidence is not in me, it's in God. And you go and you run, you run the race, you chase after God, you seek after him, you pursue him, you've got to get to that point, but it won't happen if you let the devil keep accusing you that you are not good enough. That's true, you are not good enough, but if you have the spirit of God, he can do anything through you. He can take you to places you never thought you would go. Doesn't mean he's gonna give you that million dollars you want so bad or that ginormous house or all this fame. But what it means is he can use you to impact people you never thought you could. (laughs) So where are you losing the battle of comparison at? Because what happens for most of us is we start off by having a rough day as it is. We start off by having a bad day. We wake up on the wrong side of bed. We don't feel good about ourselves. We look in the mirror. We look at our clothes and the way they fit. And we think about our life. We think about something that happened yesterday. And we're still worried over that. And if that's not bad enough, before we go to the Bible, we open up this. (laughs) 
Like if you're already struggling and then you open up this and go to social media, man, you just, you just let off a grenade right in front of your face. You're already feeling insecure. You go to Instagram, you start looking at all these people who look like they got it all together. You get on Snapchat, you look at all these beautiful people, all these pretty people, all these perfect lies, and then the devil starts whispering, man, why aren't you like that? Why don't you look like that? Why don't you talk like that? Why don't you have this? Why don't you have that? And then insecurity has blown up into a full-blown identity crisis. See, insecurity, if it is not fought against with scripture, will turn into an identity crisis. And we find ourselves in a crisis. We find ourselves in a comparison crisis. And I know it sounds cheesy. (laughs) Believe me, I know it does. But when you find yourself in a crisis, don't find yourself Christless. Because <laughs> we get in that moment where we're getting beaten up, we're getting accused, and we don't run to Jesus. We run to other people for validation. Please tell me I'm loved. Please tell me I'm cared for. But they can't tell you what God's word can. Is it your relationship status? Oh, my goodness gracious. Some of you are like, Daniel, please don't, <laughs> don't go there. Some of us, because we're single, we are missing the point of the Christian life. Literally, we think that singleness is the biggest hindrance to our life. We think that if I could just get in a relationship, then every other domino in my life would fall into place. And we miss the point of the Christian life. We look at all these couples, and they're so happy, and we think, if I could just have that. (laughs) You miss the ministry of today because you're so focused on tomorrow. Let me tell you something. A relationship with another person will never provide for you what a relationship with Jesus Christ can. Do you hear me? It will never happen. Singleness is not a roadblock. It is not a hindrance. You do not have to go jump into a relationship. It will not help your identity. If you don't have Jesus, it will only hinder your identity. It's not, you're going to wake up the same person after a month when the honeymoon phase weighs off and you're, and you're in that relationship. You're going to be having the same struggles, the same concerns, the same problems because you didn't deal with it with Jesus before you got in a relationship. <laughs> I've seen it countless times. Don't tell me I haven't. Been at the view four and a half years. I'm telling you, I can't tell you enough. I've counseled a lot of students. I've walked through life with a, col- a lot of students. I've been a college student myself, believe it or not. <laughs> Literally sat in the view seat. I remember what it was like to be single watching all these beautiful people in relationships. And I'm like, man, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I need to go get my hair shaved up again, man. Maybe my hair is too long. My, my clothes were too baggy. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I had, all I had was baggy jeans and baggy clothes. And I'm like, if I could just get some fitted clothes, maybe then I can get in a relationship and I'll have my identity and everything will be good. No. If you're single, right? If you're single, you don't want to hear it. I know you don't. Paul says, Watch. You have an opportunity that you have a chance. Watch. I know you hate this. You have a chance to do what other people cannot do. That you have a gift. And some of you are wasting that gift by comparing your singleness to other people in a relationship. What do you get out of comparison? What do you get? Do you ever really walk away satisfied? No. Do you ever really walk away feeling better? No. 
All it is is some false sense of comfort. (laughs) Our thoughts are so loose from the Holy Spirit that we can't even recognize comparison because we don't even realize it's there. You have to give your thoughts to God, to the Spirit. When I was dating my wife, I used to love to go to the movie theater. Still do. I think one of the greatest things I miss because of quarantine is the movie theater. I was talking to Paul Jones this week. He said the movie's about to open. I said, oh, snap, you know what that means. We back on our grind, double feature. I said, you know what? I miss the movies. I miss the large tub of popcorn, putting some butter on the middle and then putting the top layer back on and then putting more butter on the, oh, uh, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Little Reese's Pieces action. You know what I'm talking about. A little large soda. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. I love the movie theater and I haven't been to a movie since March. Literally my birthday. <laughs> I'm depressed. I've not been in a theater. I need to get into a theater. I literally miss the movie theater. I know I'm not alone in that. Let me tell you something. When we were dating, we made a discovery. We made a discovery that a movie theater out in Collierville had reclining seats. This was before stage cinema had reclining seats. I mean, you know the first time you go to a movie theater and you put your feet up in those reclining seats, you're like, oh, my goodness gracious. This is how they watch movies in heaven. <laughs> like, this is how we'll watch the parting of the Red Sea. Like, here, like, oh, you know, the sea parting and your feet are up, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. I figure that's the sound that happened when the sea was parting. Oh, you know, it had to be, it wasn't just silent. There's no way it just, the ocean waves just going up. There had to be some trumpets. And we, you know, we would go to this theater and we would put our feet up in these reclining seats and, and it was great. But what was crazy is it was a 45-minute drive compared to a five-minute drive. Literally, I realized, I got to a point because I was, I was dating her and I was like, I'm running out of money. <laughs> like I'm going broke driving to this movie theater because I'm wasting all my gas, all for some reclining seats. I know it sounds stupid, but I wrote it down. I said, I realized we were wasting gas and driving way too far, all for our own sense of comfort that ended as soon as the movie did. <laughs> That's exactly the train that comparison is taking you on. See, comparison will have you using way too much energy and wasting away your time all for some false sense of comfort for yourself that ends as soon as comparison does. See, comparison is just us wanting to put our feet up in a reclining seat. I know you can't see my feet. I promise I'm putting them in the air somehow, some fashion. But okay, oh yeah, there we go, switching cameras. We just want to put our feet up about ourselves. We want to compare ourselves to other people so that we can lean back and say, oh, I'm not as bad in so-and-so. At least I'm not like this. At least I'm not like this. And what's crazy is we're watching the same movie just in a different position. And see, comparison, you're going to end up with the same problems you had before. It doesn't matter that your position changed. Same movie. Same issues. But we're chasing after that sense of comfort because we're chasing after it apart from God's word. You can't find it. There is no true comfort apart from Jesus Christ. Some of you haven't read the Bible in a long time. You know why your soul feels like you're in the dryer? Just going around and around and around. You know why you feel like a hurricane in here? You know why your heart feels like a whirlwind? You know why your mind feels like a tornado? It's because you are not grounded in the peace that surpasses all understanding and human concept because you're not grounded in the word. That's why. So where are you tonight? Now B, 
celebrating Christ's work in other people. What we talked about in the interview, celebrating Christ's work in other people. Look at this. Look at verse 9. Not only does he miss them, but he prays for them. He prays that your love, their love, will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Knowledge is an understanding, and discernment is how to use that understanding. (laughs) See, many Christians have knowledge, but they don't have discernment, which means they've got it here, but they don't know how to transfer it here. (laughs) Paul prays for them. Can I tell you what's crazy? And lock in with me. This is wild. Can I tell you what's crazy? Paul is praying for these people. He loves them. He wasn't trying to outdo them. He wasn't trying to earn some person's approval. He wasn't trying to beat them out. Literally, think about this. Paul is praying for them even though he receives no benefit from his prayers being answered. Do you realize that? Think about it. He's praying for their love while he's in a jail cell and can't experience their love. He's praying for their knowledge while he's in a jail cell and can't benefit from their knowledge and their discernment. Literally, he's praying for them, but it doesn't help him anymore. Do you pray prayers for people even when you gain nothing from their prayers being answered? It's easy for me to pray for Bellevue now. I'm a pastor here. When Bellevue thrives, I thrive. Like it all works out. We a family. But what I wonder is if I was 300 miles away in a jail cell, would I still pray for Bellevue even though I would reap no benefits from Bellevue thriving? My team, I, I, it's great when Dakota comes in in a great mood. <laughs> benefits our team. I can pray for him now to have a great day. That's easy. But if I lived 600 miles away from Dakota, would I still have him in my prayer list, in my prayer journal? Would I pray for him to have a good day when it's no benefit to me what kind of day he has? Paul prayed supernatural prayers. Paul prayed different. He prayed for people when he gained nothing back in return. See, if we only pray prayers for people when it benefits us, we're really only praying prayers for us. Paul celebrated people because he wasn't threatened by them. We have people in ministry, we have people in the world that are threatened by other people's gifts. Why do you feel threatened by other people's gifts? Paul was not threatened by Lydia's intelligence. Paul was not threatened by the slave girl's newfound freedom. Paul was not threatened by the jailer's toughness and strength. Paul was not threatened by those people. I wrote this down. Paul viewed other people's gifts not as something competing against his ministry, but as something complementing his ministry. How shallow would it be if I looked at Jacob on our team and was threatened by his gifts and viewed them as competition to me instead of complimenting me? How shallow would it be if I looked at Jasmine and said, wow, Jasmine is a great encourager. Why am I not as good of an encourager as her? I need to outdo her this week. How shallow would that be? Instead, Jasmine's encouragement boosts our team ahead. It is a compliment. It grows the kingdom of God. See, when you're living for your kingdom, everybody else will be a threat. But when you're living for God's kingdom, you realize that all people play a part in this mission, in this role. And that's why we all need each other and we rely on each other. And that's what the church is supposed to look like. That's it. We love, we exhort, we challenge, and we celebrate. I watched Zach Paulin 
go to campus ministry for 52 weeks. I was there for every single one of them. I was at every single campus ministry he was at. The guy who got interviewed, LeBron James. I was at every single campus ministry he went to. I watched him every single week. I watched him. I studied him. I wanted to see how he would react because I knew he wasn't having luck in salvations. I stood next to him as he talked to atheists. I heard the atheists reject his gospel presentation. I saw people, Christians on campus at CBU Southwest in Memphis, every week tell Zach, oh yeah, I'll come to The View. I'd love to be there. And then maybe something happened and they got busy, but they never showed up. I saw Zach try to get through to people with the gospel and it continued to fail and fail and fail. They would not respond the way we want them to respond. And what's crazy is he never counted it as a failure. He kept on going. He kept on sharing the gospel. He didn't give up. I was amazed. I would have quit. I would have been like, man, I'm done. Other people are seeing salvations. I'm not. Something's wrong with my gospel presentation. No, but I watched him. When other people at our campus ministry would lead someone to the Lord, I would look right at Zach, and every single time he would be smiling. I don't understand it. Don't get me wrong. This man is not Jesus. But I have never seen someone understand the importance of celebrating other wins more than Zach. I have not seen it. He understands how important it is to celebrate other people. And I think that you and I have missed it. He realized in campus ministry, what I think Paul realized right here in Philippians, that Christ's work is worth celebrating, whether it involves you and me or not. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The last thing I wrote, if we only celebrate ministry when it's done through us, I don't think we're really celebrating God's kingdom. We're celebrating our kingdom. So where are you in all this? What's the action step for you? Is it time to take comparison and nail it to a cross? Is it time to die to your flesh and stop being a slave to something you are no longer a slave to if you have Jesus? Or for some of you, tonight's the night Jesus is knocking on your heart, saying, let me in. Let me save you. Let me know you. Let me walk with you. For some of you, you've been in darkness so long, you don't even know what the light looks like. You've been so far from Jesus, you think there's no way he could save you. I get it. I've been there. I've been in places in my life that I never thought I would ever escape. I've had chains on me, on my soul, that I did not think were broken or could be broken. I know where you are. Do you feel discouraged tonight? Do you feel doubtful tonight? There's one answer to all of it, and that's Jesus. When will you give it to him? When will you open up your hands? See, your hands don't have to be clean to come to Jesus. They just have to be open. 
and then he cleans them for you. You don't have to go fix yourself up to come to Jesus. He's asking you to just come to him how you are right now. And you know what? God is saying he misses you. For some of you, you're so far from him, he misses you. Jesus took on all of your sins. The darkest and the heaviest, he died for it. And he's offering you eternal salvation tonight. Will you give your life to him? If you do want to get saved right now, we've had three people over the last two weeks, we've been saying it. They got saved through a camera. It's amazing. We've been able to talk to them. You could get saved right now. I know you're hurt. He's the healer. I know you're playing a comparison game. He's perfect. If you pray something like this, you will be saved. Dear God, thank you. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you care for me. Thank you that you know me. God, I have sinned. I have broken your law. I have done things I am not proud of. I repent of these sins. I don't just tell you about them, God. I give them to you. I'm done with this life. I'm done with the darkness. I just want the light. I confess that Jesus is Lord. He is my Lord. And I believe, God, that you rose him from the dead. Save me, God. Save me right now, please. Save me. It's in Jesus' name I pray.